Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. WDET's Ishmael Ahmed will join to talk about the upcoming 2022 Concert of Colors, one of the richest cultural and musical events of the summer here in Southeast Michigan. We're going to hear what's on tap and why this celebration of music is so important. Then Dr. Paul Kilgore will join us to talk about where we are with COVID-19 and specifically how the BA5 Omicron subvariant is challenging us. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Music is embedded in the fabric of Detroit. From the sounds of Motown to Detroit Rock City, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, to the birth of techno, it's a musical tradition that has had an impact all over the world. But this isn't a one-way street. Detroiters also love experiencing the music of cultures around the world. And this week offers all of us a great opportunity to enjoy these wonderful sounds right here in our own backyard. The Concert of Colors is Metro Detroit's free annual diversity-themed music festival. It was established by WDET's own Ishmael Ahmed, who is the host of This Island Earth, which you hear every Saturday evening from 6 to 8 here on 1019 WDET. Now, the concert's goal is to unite Metro Detroit's diverse communities and ethnic groups through music and dance from all over the world. This year's event is free, it's live, and it's in person. And to help us learn more about the event, how you can get involved, and how can you can take all of this in is Ishmael Ahmed, uh, who's joining us now to talk about the Concert of Colors. Ishmael, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good to talk to you, Stephen. It, it is wonderful to have you with us. And as I said, this is one of the richest cultural events in Southeast Michigan. I'm always really excited for it, and I know lots of other people are as well. So let's start with you just telling us about Concert of Colors, why it's so important, and how you came up with the idea for this event. Well, don't give me too much credit, because (laughs) nothing really important gets done by one person. Uh, way back when, 30 years ago, this is our 30th anniversary, um, actually 40 years ago, uh, several groups uh, from the communities of color came together, uh, actually almost 60 of them eventually, and they were called together by New Detroit, which is an organization that was created Uh, after the 1967 rebellion to take uh, the 
regular folks and give them a chance to talk to the powerful to see if there were some solutions, especially around uh, race and equity. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was a black and white group. But there were a tremendous number of people from the Latino and Asian and Arab and Native American community that weren't on board. So they thought that culture might be a way to bring it together. And I had spent oh, many years doing uh, concerts for causes and working on things like Rock Against Racism. And uh, so I was asked, along with New Detroit staff people, to uh, to bring together these groups. So we did a lot of organizing and convened and began convening monthly. And not only did we talk about music and culture, but at that time, the death of Vincent Chin and later Malice Green, and we were active around those as well as other things. And so uh, that began the concert of colors. We did things in neighborhoods at first, and then later uh, they were so successful we were asked uh, uh, by Mayor Young to use Shane Park, and we named it the Concert of Colors. And at first it was small. We had about 5,000 people. But within 10 years, we had 100,000 people and seven stages. We've gone through a lot of changes since then. We've been at the uh, DSO, and now we're at the DIA, but we have 24 other partners, the Charles Wright, the Symphony, the Historical Museum, the Science Center, even the Scarab Club. So we're working together with all of those organizations, including uh, the Arab American Museum, to uh, put those cultures out there. And we're also working to make sure that Detroit is well represented, especially through the Don Was Review. Yeah. Um, so I, what I love about that story is the way this has grown over time, that it starts with this pretty simple idea and grows to this very multifaceted, uh, high-powered um, high-powered event. I, I wonder if you can talk about how your dedication to world music, to the world of music, kind of marries with the idea of this concert of colors and the way that it has grown over over the last 30 years. Well, obviously, if you listen to my show, This Island Earth, you know that I love every kind of music and mm -hmm. don't like to see music segregated, whether it's Detroit music or the music of the world. And so I feel very strongly about it. But as I said, if you don't have money, you got friends. And we <laughs> rely on hundreds and hundreds of friends every year to make this happen. And this year is no exception. And the other thing I think that we've learned to do is change. Uh, if you stay the same, you die. And so we have been reconfiguring the concert of colors every single year. And this year we're going to come roaring back live, although we will have some indoor stuff and just let me say this to the folks out there. If you're going to attend this year, bring your lawn chairs, bring your blankets, bring your kids. And if you're going to go to the indoor things that we have uh, either at the Charles Wright or the uh, Detroit Film Theater, bring your shot card. 
you got to prove that you're okay so we don't hurt anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk more about what's on tap for uh, for for this year's concert, but but I want to go back quickly to something you just said, which is that of course this is going to be live and in person. Uh, talk about the effect of the pandemic and the way that you have uh, made this whole thing survive through through all of that, and how exciting it is to be able to come back to the way it was before COVID-19? Well, for the last two years, we've been virtual. And thank God for WDET and uh, WTVS, Detroit Public Television. They have broadcast it uh, both of those years. Last year, we had 200,000 people who listened and watched in 40 countries, in, I'm sorry, in 20 countries, 40 states, and all over the Detroit metropolitan area. I mean, I suppose you could stay virtual, but the problem with that is it's not our mission. Our mission is to bring together peoples of all kinds to enjoy each other's music, culture, company, and to learn from each other. And when it's necessary, to stand up against the awful things that are out there. Yeah. So I, I want to play some sound, uh, and I know you brought some sound with you. Um, tell us what, uh, what we're listening to and how it ties in to the upcoming Concert of Colors. Well, one of the people who we, uh, we are featuring on Friday, opening up for the Don Was Review, which, by the way, will feature the music of Iggy Pop um, and the Stooges, is Alejandro Escovito. Yeah, a little bit of the Latin. It's just barely recognizable, but it's definitely there. Um, Alejandro is in Austin and uh, is kind of the king of Austin right now. Uh, he's been there so long and works with many, many different groups out there. Uh, but we're, we've got a lot of uh, kind of event and educational stuff going on, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yesterday, we had a big lowriders rally at the Detroit Historical Museum and uh, was led by uh, the Southwest Detroit Lowriders and the Historical Museum. And there were 70 cars from all over the Midwest uh, and DJs and food. One of the things we're experimenting with, and we think it's the right direction, is giving control of the music and culture to the communities that create them. And so on Saturday, uh, we are going to, we are going to, that's actually Saturday the 23rd. Is that 23rd? Yeah, the 23rd, we're giving control to the Caribbean community. Hmm. They're going to have a, their own parade, uh, costumes, steel drums, three reggae bands, soca bands, and major soca stars performing, and even their own Caribbean food tent. Uh, and you can join. Yeah. If you show up at 11 o'clock uh, at Warren and Cass and have a costume, you can march in their parade. So this thing about communities controlling their own destinies is really important to us, and you're going to see more of that uh, tonight. Uh, something really important that we've had for a long time is the Forum on Community, Culture, and Race. 
And it's mostly focused on artists, but it's open to everyone. And it's at the Arab American Museum at 6 o'clock. And there, what they do is pick a theme. And this uh, this year's theme will be uh, No War Anywhere, the responsibility of artists during wartime. Uh, so they will have pr- presentations and music and a bunch of other stuff, and uh, all you have to do is show up or go to the site Arab American Museum. Um, musically, some really cool stuff. Yeah, uh, we've got uh, got some friends coming in uh, from uh, New York. Uh, we've got the um, band Burt Sugar, uh, which is a group of uh, New York's finest funk and jazz musicians and they will be led by vernon reed of living color oh, one of my favorite artists he's great he's great and they're great too not enough people know about them though they built a real base here in detroit martha redbone will be on sunday as well and martha will be doing um you know, uh, the thing that she normally does, which is gospel and folk music. She's a great Native American artist. And we've got a lot of Detroit stuff. Amp Fiddler will be showing up in, in the DFT, and so will uh, Marion Hayden. Doing the music of Alice Coltrane, mm. oh. a Detroiter who really changed the face of music along with John Coltrane. Absolutely, um, yeah. And Marin Hayden is one of my, one of my favorite local artists. Uh, an amazing bassist. Yeah, she's actually become a national article uh, mm-hmm. artist. And I've got a little thing to play for you uh, by the band uh, The Prodigals. We're talking right now with Ishmael Ahmed, WDET's own Ishmael Ahmed, who hosts and produces This Island Earth, where you can, what you can hear right here on WDET every Saturday evening from 6 to 8. Uh, Ishmael, I want to talk about you for just a second and your commitment to the arts, which of course is really impressive. You currently serve as a council member for the National Council of the Arts, uh, something that you were nominated to by President Biden, which every time I say that or read it somewhere, I'm just kind of blown away by it. Uh, (laughs) Explain to listeners what the National Council of the Arts does and what you hope to achieve in that position. Well, first of all, this is a really important year because we now have three people from Michigan on the National Endowment of the Arts. Never happened before. The Midwest is starting to get its props, and that includes uh, Eric uh, Dworkin and uh, also um, also Gretchen Gonzalez-Davidson, who also, by the way, is the head of the Michigan Endowment of the Arts Board. And so uh, Gretchen and I uh, were just recently appointed, and I think we've talked a little bit about what our agenda is. Our agenda is to try and make sure money comes down, and they've been pretty good at this, but we'd like to see it even be better, to those smaller organizations and artists, especially those of color and uh, their institutions, so that those institutions are always on the very edge of failing because of money. And so we'd like to see more happen in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
the um, I also want to talk just a little about uh, the Silent Earth, of course, which is your show mm-hmm. every Saturday from six to eight p.m. and how important that is to again this idea of music being universal and ubiquitous and and connecting people, uh, not dividing us. Mm-hmm. Well. Let me just say that uh, when I moved here when I was four years old with my father, who was an Egyptian immigrant and loved Egyptian music, Hmm. we moved here to start a record store in Greektown of Arabic music. And we had people like Danny Thomas come through who had an Arabic band at the time. And, uh, of course, it failed. (laughs) And... He opened up a China store, which was just as strange, in southwest Detroit on Verner Highway. And it was across the street from a, um, from a rock and roll uh, emporium, you know. And this was in the 50s, late 50s. And there were kids with ducktails and pointed shoes and bobby soxers out there, you know, dancing and if you went to the middle of the street, you could hear Arabic music wafing in from my dad's store and Buddy Holly wafing in from the other side. And I always thought, why are these things always so separate? Why can't we just be together, whether it's the music and everything else? And so a lot of that has permeated my view of this island, Earth. I don't see, if the music comes together, why we can't play a Indian bhangra tune and a soca tune right next to each other. Yeah. Or yeah. music out of Detroit that people aren't listening to yet uh, with music out of uh, England where that people aren't listening to yet. So I think if you go to this island, Earth, there it's always full of surprises and music that you will like no matter what culture you are. Yeah. Uh, I want to end the segment with a little more music. Uh, this is by Martha Redbone, an artist I find really interesting. Tell us a little about her and this song we're about to hear. That's Martha Redbone, one of the artists who will be part of the Concert of Colors, the annual celebration of music from all over the globe right here in Southeast Michigan. It's going to run July 16th through July 24th this year. And uh, we've got Ishmael Ahmed here with us. Uh, He's the organizer of the Concert of Colors, talking about uh, all the artists and all the events. Ishmael, it has been really great to have you here. Uh, Tell... Tell people how they can learn more about Concert of Colors. Uh, please go to Concert of Colors, one word, concertofcolors.com. I'll say it again, concertofcolors, one word, dot com. And Stephen, thank you so much for being my friend. Oh, it's so great to have you here at WDET. And I love when you come on the show every year and talk about uh, what's going on at Concert of Colors. So thanks for, for being with us. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk with Paul Kilgore, co-director of the Center for Emerging and Infectious Diseases at Wayne State, about the current state of the COVID-19 pandemic and this BA5 Omicron subvariant. What is it? How dangerous is it? And how does it change the way that we have been responding to year three of the pandemic? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. 
Detroit today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are in year three of the COVID 19 pandemic, and it is really something to sit back and think of the many ways we have changed the way we interact as a community worldwide. And while we've done a lot to fight the virus's spread through research and community action, There's a lot of people, I think, who are still wondering whether this will ever end or whether this is something that we will have to learn to live with and learn to adapt to over and over and over again. The BA5 Omicron subvariant, which is the most prevalent subvariant here in the United States right now, is four times more resistant to COVID-19 vaccines, according to a new study. And that has it in the headlines all over the country. It is the latest iteration of the ways in which COVID-19 is challenging us and is the way that uh, we are having to respond and having to adapt to its changes. Now, unvaccinated people, of course, are five times more likely to get infected and 14 to 15 times more likely to die from the disease than people who are vaccinated and boosted. And that's according to the Mayo Clinic. So, of course, we are always here on WDET encouraging people to get the vaccination and get the booster Talk to your doctor about it before you do it. But that is the strongest defense still against COVID-19. But we still have lots of other things that we have to think about. Things that we may need to do or not do in order to keep on top of COVID-19. To keep it from becoming the unbelievable spreading disease that it was back in 2020. Throughout the pandemic, we've had a couple of folks who are regular voices here on Detroit Today coming by to talk about where we are, what we should be doing, and how we should be thinking about the virus in really broad terms and what our lives might look like in a month or six months or two years. One of those voices is Dr. Paul Kilgore. He is co-director of the Center for Emerging and Infectious Diseases at Wayne State University and a senior investigator for Henry Ford Health Systems Global Health Initiative. I'm really pleased to welcome Dr. Kilgore back to Detroit Today. Paul, it's great to have you with us again. Good morning, Stephen. It's great to be here with you again. Thank you. So let's start with where we are with COVID-19. I talked in the open there about the BA5 Omicron subvariant. Uh, That sounds quite technical. Um, Tell us what that is and why it's challenging us right now. Absolutely, Stephen. So you're absolutely right. We are actually now in the third year. So we're two and a half years now into the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And remember back in January 2020, we had this initial strain, um, we call it the Wuhan strain of COVID-19. And one of the things that we knew at that point was that it had a infective or reproductive rate of around 3.3. It's a number that we look at as we track the infectivity or transmissibility of the viruses. If you fast forward now to 2022, and we start talking about Omicron, the reproductive rate or infective ratio for that virus was 9.5. Now, when we talk about the subvariants of Omicron, the BA.4 or BA.5, we're talking about uh, something that's much more transmissible than even those previous viruses. And so now we're talking about a reproductive rate of around 18 to 19. And this is right around the same kind of transmission rate that we see with measles, which we have traditionally regarded for decades as being the most transmissible virus. So what we're faced with now is something completely different than what we had back in January 2020. And so for that reason, when I talk with people about this new Omicron subvariant transmission, I really regard these as being hyper-transmissible. And that has several implications for us. And to your earlier point, Stephen, what can we do now to really protect ourselves going forward for the long term? And I look at this, you know, with three different um, uh, lenses. One is take a look at your current health. Take a look at what medical conditions you have now and also check in with your doctor. If you don't have a regular doctor, schedule an appointment to go in for a physical. It's a great time of the year to do it. Um, Get that scheduled before the fall and when school starts, you'll be prepared. Um, that's true for parents and for children as well. Number two, if you have not had a COVID-19 vaccine, or if you've only had one or even two doses, check back in with your local pharmacy and or with your doctor, wherever you got your first doses, and make sure you go online today or call them to schedule that follow-up dose. It's very important because even though we know the vaccines are not perfect. Having some protection on board with the vaccine antibodies is going to help protect you against having very severe disease. And that's especially true when we talk about people that have underlying medical conditions. And there I mean people with lung disease, people with heart disease, diabetes, obesity, any disease with immunosuppression, and especially older people who are 65 years of age and older. These are the folks that I really, really worry about And those are the people that we really want to make sure get protected fully. But keep in mind, even the younger people we know can be at risk. And as summer goes on, we get into events, weddings, barbecues, events that are going to take us in contact with people. We know that there's going to be potential for exposure to these subvariants. And for that reason, oh, Stephen, go ahead. No, go ahead and finish. I was just going to say one more quick point that's very, very important. We're now into July. We're just about a month before school begins. And so one of the things I want to make sure I get across to parents, grandparents, anyone with children or children in the family, make sure that you bring your children in to the pediatrician or family doc or even local health department to get caught up on all the regular recommended vaccines for infants and children. And you can also get them vaccinated for COVID-19 now. And that's very, very important because as they come back into school, we know there's going to be a great opportunity for transmission of the BA4 and BA5. Yeah. So so here's something that I'm really concerned about. And it's it's 
the I guess the cultural moment that we're in with regard to the pandemic. I feel like in a lot of people's minds, they're just done with all of this. They're they're tired of the protocols, they're tired of the restrictions. They're tired of thinking about um, ways to stop the spread of this. And something you just said really points out how dangerous that is, that uh, this BA.5 uh, subvariant is as contagious as something like the measles. And, you know, putting it in that context, I think, uh, gives us a real sense of how much danger there is. I wonder what you make, though, of the difficulty that we are going to have convincing people really to go back to things that most of us have given up. I mean, I, I have been flying a lot this year uh, and and have noticed, of course, the absolute um, zeroing out of masking on planes and in airports now that there is no uh, FAA requirement that that you do that. When I go to the grocery store, when I go to any place publicly, the number of people masking is is down to almost nothing. How how hard is it going to be to get people to respond to this new subvariant and how infectious it is? This is a great point, Stephen, and really well taken. And I think the way I look at it is taking a very long-term view of our health. And the, the real question is, what are the optimal, what are the best health behaviors that we can adopt now for our own selves, but also for our family and children that are going to protect us for years to come against chronic diseases and infectious diseases? And I look at them in the same lens that I look at my own health. And when I consider that, um, I do think about things that are going to protect me against chronic diseases, for example, high blood pressure. So that means reducing or limiting alcohol. That means reducing salt. That means a healthy diet. It also means exercise. Those kinds of things I look at together as helping to protect us against COVID-19. At the same time, I also look at all the vaccines and immunizations that can help protect me against shingles if I'm an adult, influenza during the regular season of influenza, COVID-19, all the other childhood vaccines that we want to protect ourselves against, and also thinking about healthy behaviors, getting out, exercising, sleeping well, good sleep hygiene is so important, and all the other things that we know will help protect us, and looking at the long-term view, because I believe that we're going to be faced with COVID-19 for a long time to come. It's not going anywhere, and I think the best approach is to take a long-term view, doing things that are prudent and practical, and for my purpose and in, in all the events that I'm going to and indoor events, especially I'm wearing a mask. And if I'm going to recommend wearing a mask, it's going to be recommending an N95 with a good seal around the nose and cheeks. And also knowing that you can get these for free often from your local pharmacy. Um, at the same time, you go in for your immunization. I'm talking with Dr. Paul Kilgore. He's co-director of the center for emerging and infectious diseases at the Wayne State at, at Wayne State University, he has been joining us for several years now, talking about the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, the various iterations of COVID nineteen, and how they all 
kind of challenge us to respond in the appropriate way to make sure uh, that the disease does not reach the level of infectiousness or lethality that it had back in 2020. We're talking right now about the current scares with uh, COVID-19 and the BA.5 Omicron subvariant. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation as well. If you have questions for Dr. Kilgore about COVID-19 and how we ought to be responding to this uh, new subvariant, which he says is about as infectious as the measles. Uh, give us a call. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Also, uh, give us a sense of where you are with COVID and COVID protocols. Are you still wearing a mask when you're out in public? Uh, are you avoiding large gatherings of people indoors the way that we were? Uh, think about even this time last year, uh, the kinds of restrictions we were observing because of the Omicron uh, variant and its uh, its infectious uh, nature. Uh, or, or have you just dropped all of that? Have you had enough of COVID-19 and its disruptions in our lives. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and uh, we can get you into the conversation that way. Um, before we get to, to listeners, um, I want to talk just a little about vaccines, uh, Dr. Kilgore, and where we are with developing even more vaccines or vaccines that will continue, I guess, to be effective or maybe even be more effective against all of these subvariants. I mean, COVID is not giving up the fight and seems to be uh, changing itself to try to figure out ways around uh, our, our, our vaccinations. Uh, are, we, are we moving fast enough, I guess, to keep up with that? But Stephen, that's a really great question. And the short answer is probably not. Uh, but one thing I can tell you is that the research going on, support through NIH and CDC and WHO and many other organizations, is really accelerating to help identify new vaccine candidates that will be more effective against the new subvariants. So we're seeing an mRNA vaccine against Omicron strains and subvariants, for example. The other thing I think people should also know about is that there is a lot of work that's been going on for now several months to develop what I would call a pan-coronavirus vaccine. So this kind of vaccine is really going to be effective, ideally against all past, present, and future SARS coronavirus 2 strains and other coronaviruses as well, potentially. And that's a, a really unique type of vaccine. It's a, a vaccine design that we've all wanted to have since the very beginning, actually, but technically and from a research standpoint, it's more complicated to design, test, and evaluate these vaccines. But it's something that is really, really high priority globally. So we're seeing a global research community really kind of circle around that as a major, major target this year. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get to your calls and your social media comments about COVID-19 and where we are with protocols and subvariants. Victor and Harper Woods, Ike and West Bloomfield, 
They'll be up first if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, and we can work you into the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Paul Kilgore. He's co-director of the Center for Emerging and Infectious Diseases at Wayne State University and senior investigator for Henry Ford Health System's Global Health Initiative. We're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic still going on and a new subvariant that is... Dr. Kilgore says, as infectious as the measles. So how should we be responding to that? Should we be going back to much stricter protocols in terms of masking and staying away from large gatherings indoors? If that's true, how how game are you for that? Uh, are you willing to go back to uh, the kinds of things that we were doing in 2020 when COVID-19 of course, first appeared here in our country and and forced us into massive disruption. So we want to hear from you about uh, how you're responding to all of this. 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. Let's start with Victor in Harper Woods. Victor, what's on your mind? Yes. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, my habits haven't really changed much. I'm a bus driver. I keep my bus window open. I'm fully vaccinated, fully boosted. I wear my mask when I go shopping in a lot of places. Some places I don't. Sometimes I have it down on the bus with the window open. But if the bus gets crowded, I put my mask on. Hmm. I do most everything I can to prevent it. If I get it, it wasn't from lack of trying not to get it. So I do as much as I can if it. You have to go back to the mask, and I'm already doing it. You just got to do what you got to do. So, yeah. So, I Victor. Times and medicine method. So, Victor, I'm curious about your experience driving a bus during the pandemic, and I guess how how cooperative people have been with the restrictions when they existed, and whether people who are riding now are still observing things like masking and maybe trying to stay away. from from folks, or have they just gone back to, to the way things were before the pandemic? Uh, well, I drive the Detroit buses, but for the most part, during the pandemic, I guess the mayor got the message out, and uh, most of the people got on. They had on a mask. You had a mm-hmm. few knuckleheads that wouldn't do it, and you know you had to do certain things. But most of the people, they you had no problem wearing a mask. And about seventy percent. 60% of the people that get on the bus now still had a mask on and still ask if we have a mask. Wow, that's good. That's a good number. Um, Victor, I really appreciate the call and the information that, uh, that you share with our listeners. And, of course, really appreciate the job that you're doing 
you know, public transport is so important in our city. And I know how hard uh, bus drivers have had it, especially in the last couple of years. So really appreciate uh, you showing up and, and being part of the solution for for Detroiters. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, uh, maybe Victor's kind of proven me wrong here. I was worrying earlier about people not wanting to go back to these protocols. He says 60, 70 percent of the people on the bus are still wearing masks. That is a really good sign. No, that's absolutely right, Stephen. And actually, um, I'm really encouraged by what Victor mentioned because, number one, he's a great example of what we all want to try to do. And the first thing that he mentioned is that he's fully vaccinated and he's fully boosted and he's wearing a mask. And one of the things that I wanted to just reinforce is that we know with the Omicron variants that they are going to be very, very easy to transmit. And one of the things that we can do to protect ourselves is not only getting that third dose, the first booster, but if you're eligible to get that second booster, the fourth dose, then please go and get it because that's going to give you the best protection overall, the highest antibody levels to help protect you against more severe disease from these subvariants, especially. Yeah. The second thing that I wanted to mention, and I, it's fantastic that Victor is wearing a mask. One of the things I would mention to Victor and other bus drivers and other people who are in kind of frontline jobs is at, at your office or your local pharmacy, try to get a hold of an N95 mask. The N95 mask is going to provide better protection, better seal um, for uh, preventing transmission or exposure than a typical kind of blue, what I would call surgical procedure mask. So I really prefer the N95 to prevent transmission. And if Victor can get a hold of those or contact his local pharmacy or health department, they would help to connect him with sources for those. The other thing I wanted to mention that I really am glad to hear from Victor is that he's doing all these things. And actually by doing them, he's modeling the kind of behavior that I think is really ideal. So he's serving as a model to all the passengers that he meets every day. And we all know that driving, um, and especially bus driving, is a very stressful job. So the last thing I would say to Victor that he could do, um, including myself as, as well as other people, is to think about a, a program of checking in with your doctor, getting a regular checkup, um, making sure that we have an exercise plan, a stress reduction plan for the long haul, for the long term, because we're going to have COVID-19 around for years to come. And I think the long-term plan that involves kind of a plan for your own health and wellness is a key to a good response to COVID-19 and preventing it Mm. and the severe effects of it. Mm. You mentioned earlier um, getting N95s for free. Um, Do you know where people can do that? The best thing that I would recommend, there's a couple of things that you could do. One is call the um, health department, your local health department. The second is to call your local pharmacy. And typically there's kiosks or little places in the pharmacy where they have uh, N95 masks. You can go and just pick up a few if you need. And if they don't have them, your local health department would also be a good source. Um, If that is not profitable in terms of information, you can also contact the Michigan Department of Health and they can provide uh, information on where you might be able to find that, um, as, as well as other resources, including vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Victor, 
really appreciate the call and love the job that uh, you're doing here for the city of Detroit. Let's go to Ike in West Bloomfield. Ike, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Uh, I uh, just wondered uh, how the doctor feels about uh, sort of a proactive approach in shielding the atmosphere around us. Specifically, uh, there's a product, a nasal spray, that has the Covidine iodine, which, as you know, years ago was used for free surgery type of treatments. Mm. Mm. How do you feel about nasal sprays that might protect the inside coating? Because that's, that's how you get entry. the... Yeah. I, great question. Uh, I, I hadn't heard much about that. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, what's the answer? Yeah, um, it's a great question for Mike. And, you know, these nasal sprays have been around quite some time. The, the challenge with nasal spray is that you administer it. And depending on where you are, what situation or work environment you're in, if you administer it, the effects of it are going to be relatively short-lived compared with a vaccine or mask. And as a way to kind of reduce vulnerability of the nasal mucosa, it's, it's a temporizing measure is the way I would describe it. So it would have limited effects, and there's not a great amount of data around the long-term use of this, as well as how it would protect people in the long term um, who are also vaccinated and or wearing a mask. The best protection by far and away is making sure you are fully vaccinated have the boosters for the COVID-19 vaccine. And if you're in a work environment, indoor environment, a group setting where you're close to people and where there's a risk of transmission, that's where you want to make sure you're wearing a mask. And that includes on a plane, from my, from my viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, Ike, uh, for the call. Let's go quickly to Maryland in Oak Park. Uh, Maryland, I've got about 40 seconds left, but want to get you in here. Go ahead. Okay, Stephen, I'll talk really fast. I am so tired of hearing people say they're just so tired of the pandemic as if it's a board game. We haven't been sitting here playing Parcheesi for almost three years, and nobody's demanding that you donate a kidney. Thank mm-hmm. goodness that I think his name was Hick, uh, Victor, the, the bus driver. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness he was on to say very calmly, which I can't be right now, he was there to say uh, it's not a big deal, and he's using common sense. That's all we need to do. Boy, oh boy, that's yeah. it. Yeah, Marilyn, really appreciate the call and agree 100%. You know, it, it, none of the things that we've been asked to do, in my estimation, are all that hard to do. Uh, some of them are uncomfortable. Some of them feel disruptive. But when you think of the awful toll that we as a community, and especially during the early days of the pandemic, it seems to me protecting people, uh, you know, is paramount. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, again, I've got about 30 seconds left. No, that's right. And Marilyn makes a great point. I really like what Victor is doing. He's serving as a model for our community. And if we can all do that, taking a long-term view of our own health, making sure we're up to date with vaccines and checking in with our doctors and getting all our medicines in order, that's the way to go for sure. And, and Stephen, one more quick thing. The mm-hmm. telephone number information line for the uh, state of Michigan, you can dial either 211 or you could call 1-888-535-6136. And it's 535-6136 for more information on COVID-19 testing and vaccine locations. Yeah. 
Okay, Dr. Paul Kilgore, really great to have you here with us as always on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by today. Thank you very much, Stephen. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to take a look at America's history with cash bail, why it matters, and what the court system in Detroit is looking to do about changing that. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.